hear my voice, come on into the sanctuary tonight. And here in just a few seconds, we'll get started with our latest installment of Answers in Genesis. Um, if you're joining us online or if anyone here in person is newer uh, to the Answers in Genesis curriculum that we've been going through for the last uh, several weeks, uh, we, this is a curriculum that really is, it's kind of a themed after a Sunday school approach to uh, studying the Word, really it is going through Bible story after Bible story, just taking time to go through um, the Word. And, and of course, we're in Genesis right now. Tonight's lesson is going to be focusing on Genesis 18 and 19. Uh, the title is Sodom and Gomorrah tonight, so we're going to be going over the, well, the history of, uh, of Sodom and Gomorrah, that place, it was a real place, and some of the people, um, Bible, Bible characters that we see interacting around this time period in history and you know I was just thinking earlier today about the answers in Genesis curriculum we've gone through so far far we're in unit four of this um, lesson 35 and so we spent quite a few weeks on this now and I was just thinking about how we're only in Genesis 18 tonight we've gone through 35 lessons in this and yet we're only we're only 18 chapters into the Bible I think it's amazing and what I was um, thinking about with this is you know we've spanned about 2,000 years of history since we look at, at when God created everything and, and brought creation to life on the earth um, we're about 2,000 years past that point now as we're studying the life of Abraham and I was just thinking it's amazing how We've got the Bible. I mean, mine is, gosh, how many pages? I don't know about yours. Mine is like about 1,200 pages long, my, my Bible is. And it's not even an amplified translation. So there's so much in the Word. We're only 18 chapters into this, this book, and yet we've already covered 2,000 years of history. And so I just think Genesis is incredible to go through and see um, the, the rapid kind of glance over history. I'm so grateful God gave us that, where we can go back and look at um, what has happened happened since uh, the very beginning of, of creation and when man came to live on the earth. And so um, tonight we're going to get started. Uh, let's pray as we begin our time of study tonight, if you would. Just pray with me. Father, we thank you that tonight we can look to your word with total trust in it, that it is the truth. We can put our faith into the words that you have inspired men um, to write throughout history, that we would have a record of what's happened in the past. We would have a record um, and, and writing inspired by the Holy Spirit that gives us insight into who you are um, and teaches us about Jesus, about your plan of redemption, teaches us about um, who we are, who we've been, who we're created to be. Lord, you give us every, every piece of truth that we need to live a, a, a just fully alive life. And so we thank you that we have that tonight in your word. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, Lord. You said in your word that he, we, he dwells within us. You called us a temple for the Holy Spirit. And so I thank you that your Holy Spirit is in us tonight and that uh, he's doing what he does. He's revealing, he's teaching, he's guiding and leading me as, as we go through this and also in each individual's heart, Lord, just teaching and, and uh, bringing the word to life in a way that only you can do, God. Thank you that um, as we study this tonight, each individual here would hear your voice clearly. As we set this time aside, I just pray that our study would be beneficial, that it would build us up, it would encourage us and exhort us and just um, lead us further into knowing you and lead us further into the truth. Thank you, Lord, for the living word that we can go to regularly for, for just understanding 
understanding, for growing in knowledge and wisdom of your kind, and Lord, just for drawing closer to you and having our faith built, because we know that comes by hearing the word. And so tonight we desire to hear. We approach this lesson with open ears, and we're ready to see all that you have for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I see some more in the doorway, so come on in, get seated, and make sure you grab the handouts. We've only got a couple of them tonight. I don't have any maps to pass out or anything like that, uh, but we're going to have a great lesson tonight about Sodom and Gomorrah, and so uh, I'll read our lesson focus, and then if you would, you can turn in your Bible to Genesis 18. That's where we're going we're to start tonight. We're really going to read about two chapters of the Word, and so there's going to be quite a bit of reading up front, and then we're going to talk through um, Sodom and Gomorrah, and then put it into application for us today as New Testament believers, as, as the church that's been redeemed in Christ. We're going to see what we can take away from uh, this lesson of Sodom and Gomorrah and this biblical account of real history and see what that means for us today. Um, we have some apologetic things I'm excited to get to at the end, just some really neat discoveries and things that I think will bless you to hear. So our lesson focus tonight is this, the Lord and two angels appeared to Abraham and announced judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sin and wickedness God saw there. Abraham pleaded not only for the cities, but also for his nephew Lot. God must punish sin, but he had mercy on Lot and his family. And so really the two themes of this lesson tonight are judgment and mercy. One of those things doesn't sound so exciting, and I'm really excited about the other one. And tonight what we're going to see as we go through this is uh, we've, we've had mercy provided for us, which makes us able to talk about judgment, to look at judgment in the Word, and even to think about judgment to come without fear, um, with, without you know, angst, we can look at it and really just know that we have the mercy of God in our life. We're going to talk more about that tonight, so I don't want to get ahead of myself too much. But I was thinking, as, as we're getting ready to read in Genesis 18 here, I was thinking about mercy and judgment. And I kind of like to start messages with a little story, and I was thinking about one of the times I can recognize that I really learned a lesson about judgment and mercy. One of the things we're going to see tonight is that, um, well, sin, sin has a, a price that goes with it. There is a, a payment, a wage that's earned with sin. We're going to talk about what that is tonight. But uh, for every, every sinful thing we do, every wrong thing we do, there is a, a consequence, a payment, something that is really owed because of that. You know, every good thing we do, that's got something owed with it. Every bad thing we do, there's something owed. It's this cause and effect kind of... Uh, uh, effect in life. And so I was thinking about something I had done one time where I had really earned some judgment. Um, I was just young and, and learning about you know, just relating to other people and how to make friends. And um, I thought the best way to make friends in my Sunday school class at church was to take the piece of gum that I had been chewing from winning a game and to stick it into the hair of the pretty girl that was sitting next to me. And I remember it very clearly because my mom came back and found out about it and she was mad. And, and she took me and this girl over to the kitchen and she pulls out a jar of peanut butter and she's trying to get the gum out of her hair. And I mean, she tried for the whole duration of church and couldn't get the gum out. And we get to the end of service and the girl's mom's back there with us now and um, she says, well, I don't know what else to do. I think you're just going to have to cut her hair. <laughs> and I was looking at this situation thinking, I have done something that cannot be undone <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel the wrath when I get home. <laughs> and so I remember we got home and I, I can remember the khaki pants I was wearing because I remember thinking to myself, these khakis are not going to break the sting of a spanking when my dad gets up here. And so I'm sitting up in my bedroom just 
just somber, just sorrowful, kind of feeling bad for myself and what's about to happen to me. And my dad came up and he just sat on the bed and he said, Isaac, do you know what you did was wrong? And I said, yes, I feel so bad. I feel so sorry about this. He said, well, I suppose that'll be enough then. And he walked out of the room and I thought, I made it. <laughs> I don't know what just happened, but I got some mercy that day. <laughs> I learned about mercy and that didn't happen to me every time, praise the Lord. But I did find out a lesson about judgment, about the consequence of sin and about mercy that day. And so hopefully that little story is something we can look to as we read about Sodom and Gomorrah um, and, and discuss tonight, judgment and mercy. Let's read in chapter 18 verse 1 and read this story about Abraham and Lot and these wicked cities of this time. The Lord appeared to him, this is Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were sitting in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah, and said, Quick, three says of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and he set it before them and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Shall I have a child? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And we're going to talk about this in a future lesson, but here's a promise of God being reinforced, reaffirmed to Abraham and Sarah. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. And the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. There again, a reaffirming of what something God had already spoken to him, that he would become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. This is referring to the two men that were with the Lord. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. 
So he's going to keep talking to him. Then Abraham drew near and he said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if thirty are found there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are not found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. When he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So I want to just cover a couple things that we see in this and pick out a few um, things from this chapter um, of Genesis 18. First thing, just to summarize what we read here, um, the Lord and two angels appear to Abraham, and the Lord is coming to have a conversation with him. Now, we know Abraham is counted as, as one of God's, he's faithful before God. He's considered that way. He's considered righteous. This is what we've read in the scriptures. And God has already given Abraham so many promises. If you remember the last couple of weeks, we talked about his travels. We talked about the promises God had given him in land, in a legacy of having a great nation come out from him. A great increase. And so in all of these things, Abraham already has a promise of God. And when the Lord shows up with these two messengers that are with him, angels, um, is what they're, we're going to see them referred to in the next chapter. Um, there are two announcements that God makes to Abraham. The first is, once again, the promise of, of a son. We read about that in about the first verse through the 14th verse. This promise of the son, it wasn't a new thing because God had already told Abraham that he was going to be made a great nation and yet Abraham didn't have any kids, at least none with Sarah at this point. And so um, this is a promise that God had made and when these, well, these three men, God and two angels show up, um, they're just reaffirming that this promise of, of him becoming a great nation is something he's not, he is going to do. You know, God doesn't forget his promises. God doesn't forget his word. God is going to have it come to pass. God will do what he said he would do. And so we're going to talk about that more next week. I'm going to leave that uh, there for right now. Something else we could note about Abraham is we see his character. Abraham was a man of character. Did you notice that in the first 10 verses of this chapter, Abraham sees these, these people coming and he, I think he understood right away that it was the Lord. He referred to him as Lord. And if we went back to the words, those are the words that the, the Hebrew people used 
to refer to God. And so he recognized that, um, well, God was there before him and that he was um, in his presence. And, and immediately what he does, he says, go and get the water so that we can wash their feet. Go and get the food so that we can give them a feast. He was very hospitable. He was taking care of people. And in the culture of this day, this is something we might talk a little bit about at the end if we have time. Um, hospitality was one of the most valued, um, valued like morality characteristic things that people had. To be hospitable was a very important characteristic in this time. And, you know, we may not think so much of that today, but back then, I mean, you know, we've talked about the nomadic people and traveling far and wide, far away from your stuff. I mean, you could go on a journey and be away from home for a year or more, and, and you're just carrying what you've got with you. You're dirty, you're tired, you're, you're probably hungry, you're probably thirsty. And so when you come upon someone else to get hospitality, I mean, that's a huge sign of, of love. That's a huge sign of kindness, of consideration, compassion. I mean, this is a, a really virtuous thing for Abraham to do. It is a high character of Abraham. And so we see his character on display at the very beginning of this chapter. We, we see, I think, a little bit of, of a preview of maybe why God considered Abraham uh, to be right. You know, he was, he was a good man. He was doing what was right. He was living that out. And so uh, he's very hospitable. He has character. We see that displayed here. And then um, what we get into next is this conversation about this wicked city, this terrible place, Sodom and Gomorrah. And there were actually five cities. We may talk about those at the end too. But there were these cities in the Valley of Jordan around the Dead Sea that were just full of, of wickedness. They were full of sin. And we're going to see that in chapter 19. When the conversation between Abraham and God it's this aspect of, of God's justice and his mercy. We know God's just, don't we know that? You know, actually, I want to go to Isaiah 61, verse 8, and take a look where it's just, it's stated very clearly, and this is in a chapter referring to the good news of salvation. Right around that, it says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth, and I will make them an everlasting covenant. You know, one of the things I think we have to ask in this is, what is justice? Justice is uh, an American definition of it is what is morally right and what is deserved. You know, just with that, I think we could get a picture of God. You know, he is, he is just, which means he sits, you know, if we were looking at the courtroom of, of all creation, God is the judge on the bench and he knows what is right and what is wrong. He knows what is good and what is evil. And, and just, justice is this um, equating out of, of like what's been done and the payment that is offered. You know, we talked about the term reconciled in church a few Sundays ago, and we talked about how that term reconciliation, it's about bringing balance to account. You know, when a judge sits on a bench, what, what he's doing is deciding, okay, this is, this is what has happened. This is what it's going to take to make that balanced out. This is what it's going to take to make this situation right once again. And for God, you know, what we're going to see in uh, Romans 6.23 here in, in just a minute is there is a wage. There is a, a payment that is owed for sin. And so when we talk about a sinful place like Sodom and Gomorrah, we've probably all heard of that place before. And so without even reading 19, we probably know it's a bad place. And so when God's saying, hey, I know that there's wickedness in this place. And, and I think it's interesting, too i got to find the, uh, right here in verse 20, he says, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. You know, this just hit me while I was studying it today. There, there were people crying out against Sodom and Gomorrah because of the wickedness that was occurring there. It wasn't just that 
I don't believe it was just that God was displeased. You know, oh, I see down there some bad things are happening. I believe it was so wicked that other nations, other people groups were being, you know, um, drawn into the sin or, or being destroyed or affected by the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. I believe it was so bad in that area that these two cities, sin was influencing and affecting in a bad way, destru- causing destruction in other people's lives too. You know, that's what sin does. If you get, a, you hang out around sin, I mean, we're going to even see it with Lot as we read about him. You, you stay in, in a, just a dark place and you don't have light, which they wouldn't have had that at this time. They didn't have the Holy Spirit on the inside. Lot didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of him. He wasn't called to Sodom and Gomorrah to be a minister there. He was just totally under the influence of that wicked and evil place. And so we see this great wickedness, this great sin in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, you know, the truth about it, and, and people don't like to talk about this. This is another one of those not shouting kind of messages. But, uh, well, sin deserves death. Let's just read Romans 6 verse 23 right now. You've probably read this before. This is what it says. This is what the word says. And, and, you know, this is important to talk about because people have questions about this kind of thing. You know, this Wednesday night group, this is, the, this is one of those equipping times where we just we get into topics of the word. Where the world wants to know answers to these kinds of questions. The world wants to know, you know, what, what happens if I'm just kind of bad? What if I'm mostly good, but I've got, you know, a couple little problems with me? Do I really still need Jesus? I, I mean, would God really send someone who, who just does, who just lies? You know, all I do is lie. Would he really send me to hell for that? This is kind of what we're talking about tonight because the truth is, and we read it in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we're going to get to that part tonight, and when we get there, I, I believe we're just going to be joyful about it and, and excited about the good news that this situation of, of having to pay the price for judgment is not our situation any longer. Glory. Amen. We're not under that system anymore. We've had the price paid for us. We're going to get to that later on tonight. And so we see this justice demands a payment. You know, that, that's an easy way to say it. Justice demands payment. And so, you know, we could take it again to that example of a legal system, a judge sitting on a bench. I mean, he's, he's assigning payment for the sins, payment for the wrongs that have been done. Isn't, that's what our court system's about, isn't it? It's about balancing out um, wrong for payment. And so justice is going to demand payment. And so here's a question that I'll pose for you tonight. Is God wrong for justly requiring payment for sin? Is it wrong of God to, to require, you know, some payment for sin? Here's the problem, is if he doesn't, then he's not just. But God is just. God is perfect. Okay, so God is, is a just God. He said even, like we read in Isaiah 61, I love justice. Justice is important to God. God is just. It's part of his character. And so God's going to do the thing that's just. God's going to do the thing that's right. And as harsh as it feels sometimes, every sin requires payment every every sin brings with it a wage of death like it says in romans 6 23 i was thinking about this example who is wrong when you get pulled over for speeding just making it real and i've been pulled over for speeding and so i'm i'm preaching to myself right now okay who is wrong in that situation have you ever met somebody who they get pulled over and the officer shows up at the window and they're like mad just undignified how dare you pull me over today for breaking the law <laughs> right I mean we we can easily see that they're well hey the officers just they're they're doing what's just they are applying this 
just rule and and um, you know if if you get a ticket hey you're getting justice and if you don't you're getting mercy and that's what we're gonna talk about tonight not getting what you do deserve that's what mercy is not getting what you do deserve and that's what God did for us by sending his son he he gave us a way to not get what we deserve because Jesus got what we deserved and we got what he deserved amen that's good news let's look at Genesis 19 this evening Genesis 19 so we've talked about Abraham and his conversation with God and, and you know God's announcing this plan to Abraham and just kind of a quick side note on that too I love that because Abraham is is chosen by God God talks to Abraham that's such a new that's such a New Testament thing for us too. you know God will let you in on his plans right. it, we're, we're not just like wandering through this without a clue what's going on God wants you to be in the know because you're his people amen Let's look at Genesis 19. It says in verse 1, the two angels. So these are the two that were with the Lord, and then they went on to Sodom. And so the Lord, he stopped, and he's there with Abraham. They're having this conversation about, well, what if, you know, what if 20, what if 30? It goes the other way, but what if 10? And that's the number they land on. And meanwhile, the angels are off uh, uh, while they're assessing. They said, we're going to go down to Sodom and see if it's as bad as these outcries have been saying it is. And so the two angels, we pick up in verse 1, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. He said, My lords, please turn aside your servant's house, to your servant's house, and spend the night, wash your feet, that you then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. And I'm just going to say this now so I don't forget it later. Lot knew how bad it was. Lot knew how bad Sodom was. He knew it wasn't good out there, which is why he pressed these people, don't stay in the town square. Because I know what's going to happen when night comes, and I don't want you out there to endure it. I want, come with me. He knew how bad it was there, and yet he was there. He stayed in the place of sin and wickedness. He's, so Lot's pressing them strongly. They turned aside to him, entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him. So he's outside now contending with all of these people of Sodom. He said, I beg you, my brothers. You know, I didn't, even, I didn't even like have anything in the notes about this, but that just fires me up reading that. I beg you, my brothers. You know, Lot was identifying with these people, with these wicked, sinful people. He's related to Abraham. He had seen the promise of God. He had seen the deliverance of God. He had seen the goodness of God. And yet here he is in Sodom saying, I beg you, my brothers. I beg you, people that, that know me, that, that live around me, that interact daily, and, and we share things together, my brothers. There's this intimacy, this relationship that Lot identifies with the people of Sodom. My brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. I'll tell you, in one way, it's a good thing Lot's trying to protect these men, but he is not like Mr. Perfect. No, I know. 
I mean, obviously, when he's willing to just throw his two daughters who he's been tasked to protect and keep, we're going to talk about that, the family structure in our apologetics section tonight. I mean, he, he has his problems. Lot's got some problems. Lot's not fully righteous. And yet, because Abraham loved him and was interceding with the Lord, the Lord was still um, reaching out to save Lot. Hey, that's, you know, that's a great news if you know anybody who's far from God today. God listens when we intercede for people. Yeah. You know, that, if you know someone who it seems like they're far from God, let this story of, of Abraham and Lot be encouraging to you and know that your prayers to God interceding for another person, they do not fall on deaf ears. God hears them and God responds to them. God will send, I mean, he sent two angels and what we're going to see is they drag Lot out of the city. If God can drag Lot out of a fire and brimstone, falling from heaven situation, he can rescue the person. He can send laborers to the person that you're praying for. Amen? just thought that was kind of encouraging. All right, we pick up here. Do nothing to these men. But they said, stand back. Get out of the way, Lot. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. They're talking a lot. They're, talking, they're mocking Lot right now. He, he came here as a foreigner, and he's become our judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. They're like, we'll get to you as soon as we get through them, Lot. Then they pressed hard against the man, Lot, and drew near to break the door down. But the men, these two men, these two angels, they reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them, and they shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great. So they wore themselves out groping for the door. This just so shows you how like wicked, wicked Sodom was and also the length that sin will drive you to when you're in it this deep. They were blind and yet they're still trying to get this door open to go and sin. I, I mean, sin had created such an enslavement over them that they just lost their sense of sight and all they care about is getting in there to go and do their nasty sin. This is what sin drives people to. And this is how gross that city was. And yeah, Lot's sticking around here. Then the man said to Lot, the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have seen in the city? Bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. I think this is great. And, and I'm just like getting the picture of what this is like. But these, these angels are like, okay, we've seen enough. It's time to destroy the city. <laughs> I mean, that's how bad it was. You know, they were sent there to verify, hey, are these outcries that have been, you know, prayed or spoken about Sodom? Is it as bad as they say? Yes, it is. It's awful here. We need to destroy this place. Let's get them out of here. So Lot went out, said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. They took it like a joke. Hey, man, there's a parallel for us today. How many people take the things of God like a joke? How many people look at judgment that comes after this life on earth like a joke? Oh, sure. You know, I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, my friend who said, oh, yeah, I'm taking, a, I'm taking a big bus to hell and I'm dragging everybody with me on it. It's a joke. He's looking at it like, tell you what, it wasn't funny when the brimstone started falling out of the sky. There's going to be a day where it's not a joke anymore. Right. So as morning dawned, 
The angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Take your family, your son, these, these guys that are going to marry your daughters. They're not going to listen. But get your family, get the people you're responsible for. Get them up, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him. They drug him outside the city of Sodom. They brought him out. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you've shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I can't escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city, this other city, Zor is the city he's talking about, is near enough to flee to, and it's a little city. It's, it's just a little bit of sin in this place. It's not Sodom. It's not that really bad. Just let me do this other, this little city. Let me go to this place of sin and wickedness. It's here enough. It's little. Let me escape there. It's not a little one. Is it not a little one? And let my life be saved. He said to him, behold, I will grant you this favor also that I will not overthrow the city of which you've spoken. Escape there quickly for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground, which, which is important to note because if you look at that area today, it is like barren. But when Lot went to that place, it looked like the Garden of Eden. That's what we read a couple weeks ago. And so this wipes it all out. But Lot's wife behind him looked back. She became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down. He's standing on this hilltop, and he's looking out at the valley toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So praise God, we see that Lot is delivered by mercy by his, well, his uncle Abraham who had been praying for him and interceding for him. We covered a lot of scripture right there. I'm just going to go through the notes here and talk about a few of these elements um, that, that we see. You know, early on in that chapter, we see the angels approach Lot, and he welcomes them. He shows them hospitality. And so, you know, he, he was not fully on board with, with the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, but like we read and we kind of highlighted, he had some stuff that was wrong in his life. You, you recognize that in the text. Like, he had some things that were good about him, showed him some hospitality, he tried to pull them away from the wickedness of the men in the city, but he had some problems. He had his own problems. And, and even in leaving, you know, he was slow to leave it. I mean, his, his wife looked back, so she definitely wasn't on board with where they were going, and he didn't even go ahead with the plan of God. I mean, if, look, if God pulls me out of a situation where fire's falling from heaven, and then he tells me to go somewhere, I'm running to the place he told me to go. I'm not going to start arguing with God about, well, I think I'd rather do this, Lord. I, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't think I'm ready to go to the hills, God. I don't think I'm ready to go to that place. I don't think I'm ready for that kind of life. I don't think I'm ready to live that way. I don't think I'm ready to cut that part of my life off. I don't think I'm ready to leave the city. I'm not ready to leave the wickedness. I'm not ready to leave the sin entirely. I still want a little bit of it. I still want a taste of it in my life. I don't want to go to this totally new place of life that you've told me to. I'm going to do something else instead. 
didn't work out. They ended up in the hills anyway. Lot and his two daughters, which didn't end well for them. <clears throat> so we see this in Lot. He's got some problems, even though we see some good things about him too. He refers to these two angels as lords. Um, now, I want to just highlight, and, and we're not going to go deep into the Hebrew words or any of that kind of thing tonight, but the word that he's using um, was really more of like a salutation. It's not the Lord as in God, the Lord my God. It wasn't that. He's referring to them like, you know, men of stature. That was kind of how he was referring to these two angels. And, you know, the truth is until, until the angels blinded the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, I don't know that Lot knew that they were angels. I think they appeared like men. That's what it says. They came like men and, and he welcomed them into his house. And so he was referencing them um, kind of like we would say, you know, a sir, a gentleman, I mean, maybe doctor, terms like that today, just referencing um, them as men of stature, recognizing them as men. Um, let's talk. I, I don't think we need to go too far. I mean, I think just we, we already understand that uh, Sodom was a perverted and wicked place. It's referenced in Genesis 13, 13, when Lot decided to go to this area to Sodom and Gomorrah and this valley of Jordan um, it said in Genesis 13 13 the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord um, and so this this valley it was a place known for its sin it was known for its wickedness and this is before Lot ever even got there he knew it was a bad place when he decided to go and so Lot we see is totally surrounded by sin and I'd say this too you know um, he goes from a, a life with Abraham, walking with Abraham, a man of God, of being blessed, of increasing, of being led and protected by the power of God, to a life where he's being totally derailed. Everything he's got is now destroyed. And it's because he surrounded himself with sin. Just say this, it's important who we spend our time with. It's important who we surround ourselves with. If we choose to surround ourselves with sin, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have an effect on us. Now, I believe we can go and minister to sinners. I believe we ought to do that. We shouldn't be isolating ourselves and never uh, having any idea of what's going on. I mean, think we, we need to know what's wrong so we can go and offer hope so that we can identify, hey, there is better life available. You don't have to stick with this, this dead kind of rut that you're in right now. You can live a better life with Christ. But we ought not to surround ourselves with wickedness and sin. You know, um, we're all adults in here. We know what the word is referring to when it said that the, the men of Sodom wanted to know these two angels. It wasn't referring to, hey, I want to be your friend. He was, they were wanting to know them in a bad way, in a wicked way, in a homosexual kind of way. And so the desire to carnally know these foreign men, this is a wickedness that we see in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and you know, just to be frank about it, people want to act like that's okay today. It's not. It, it's called wickedness. I mean, this is the chief thing that we see happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's called a wicked and sinful place. So I, I'm sorry if that offends you, if anybody in here or watching online doesn't like that, but based on what the Word says, and we're going to read another scripture in 1 Corinthians later, homosexuality is sin. And, and I'll tell you, there's, there's life past that, there is hope beyond that, but it's wrong. And, and that's not me being judgmental. That's me saying what the Word says about it. Which leads me to my next point. I don't know if you noticed this in the text. I'm actually going to go back and find the specific verse. I didn't, I didn't notate what verse it was in here. But I want to find where they started mocking 
mocking him. Um, yeah, okay, this is angels talking. Behold, I have daughters. The men came to them. I beg you, brothers, do. So he says, do not act so wickedly. Hey, how about that? Lot calls it out. He says, my brothers, don't do this. Don't act so wickedly. Don't sin this way. And what do they say next? Well, and then he offers his daughters, which was wrong. And then in verse 9, they said to him, stand back. Hey, brother, get, get out of my way. I'm, I'm doing what I wanted. I'm living my life the way I want to. I'm living what's true to me. I'm living what I like. And then they start mocking him and they say, this guy, he came here as a foreigner. He's, he's new in our group, new in our place, new in our workplace. He's new in our friend circle. He's new on our Facebook page. This guy's new and he's come here judging us. They say, don't judge us, Lot. Yeah. Have you ever heard that? Don't judge me. It's a bad, it's, it's a wicked attitude. Don't judge me. You know, we could, tonight, I'm not trying to preach a sermon about our, you know, judge not, lest you be judged. I'm not trying to go there tonight, but I do want to, I do want to identify a couple scriptures. If you would uh, turn with me, I guess I didn't get this one on our scripture sheet, but if you would, um, why don't you turn over to 2 Timothy 3.16. Yeah, it's there. Is it there? Yep. I don't see it on mine. Oh, it's on, well, I, I meant on the scripture sheet here. Yeah, it's on the outline. The scripture sheet doesn't have it, so we'll have to turn there, is I guess what I'm saying. 2 Timothy 3, 16. <clears throat> all right, so I'm going to go ahead and read here. It says this about the word. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's talking about the Word. And then, um, I'm going to do the next, I didn't get either of these two. Ephesians 5, verse 11, I'll turn there quickly and read that too. So we see the Word is profitable. That's what it says. The Word is profitable. It's beneficial. The Word, we know, is good. The Word is good, and it's good for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And then in Ephesians 5, verse 11, see it says, And we have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Hey, Lot wasn't living. He was having some fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But what we've been told in the New Testament is don't have fellowship. Don't, don't be brothers with those walking in darkness. We're brothers with people of light. Amen. We're, we're in the brotherhood of Christ. We're in the family of God, but not the family of the world. We've been adopted as sons into this family, not in the other family. And then it says this, expose it, expose it. How do we identify it? How do we identify what, what is good and what is not good? Well, that's where we go back to second Timothy three. It's the word. The word is profitable for instruction, for reproof, for doctrine, for instruction in righteousness. We can know what's right and what's wrong. We can know what's just and what's not good and evil. We know that based on the word of God. Amen. And you know, here's a common misconception. And I think it's what these people misconceived with Lot too. They were saying Lot has decided that he's going to determine what's right and wrong. But I don't think Lot was determining what was right and wrong. He knew that it was wicked in the eyes of God. And so it's not that I'm a judge and I'm deciding that this is good and this isn't good, but God's already done that. And God is a judge and God is a just, good, perfect judge. And so his judgments are true. Amen. His judgments are right, aren't they? And so when I apply what he said, I'm not judging. No, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm exposing. And I've been called to do that in the word. 
people say, don't judge me. And the word says, judge not lest you be judged. I don't want the job of judging. No. But I'm going to apply the word in every area of my life. And if somebody wants to bring their darkness around me, I'm going to expose it because light exposes darkness. Right. Light, light shines through darkness. It's going to expose what's going on in the dark. And so, you know, I'm sorry if people don't like hearing it, but sin is sin. Homosexuality is wrong. Lying's wrong. Cheating's wrong. Stealing. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are wrong. I'm not going to say it's good. I'm not going to say I agree with it. I'm not going to validate your feeling of wanting to get pat on the back and say it's okay to do whatever you want to do. It's not. It's sinful. And there's a payment that's owed. The wages of sin is death. I don't want you to die, so stop sinning. Get redeemed. Get righteous. By the blood of Jesus. And so I just wanted to point that out tonight because I've heard it before. I know you've heard it before. Don't judge me. Applying the word of God is not judgment. Pointing out the truth is not judgment. It's exposing evil. And hey, we ought to be doing that. We ought to expose evil. And so judgment and presenting truth or exposing evil are different things. I just wanted to make this point tonight. Judgment and then presenting truth, which I, I did slash exposing, exposing evil. Those are different things. God has already made the judgment on what is good and what is evil. When we speak the truth, the word, we're pointing to God as a just judge. And I want people to know that he is a just judge. Oh, hey, you, you, don't, you don't like what I think about? You don't like that I think it's wrong to sin? Well, I didn't make that up on my own. That, you're going to have to take that one up with God. Now, I'm not the I'm not the judge. He is. So, you know, if, if you don't like the standard, you can talk to the one who instituted it. It wasn't me. I didn't write the book. He did. Amen. Hope this helps you. Hope this gives you a tool to use in having conversations about these things. Here's another thing we see in the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. They refuse to repent or relent. I thought that was kind of good. They refuse to repent or relent. Lot's standing at the, at the door. He's saying, don't do it. This is wrong. This is wicked. This Don't do it. They keep going. They're blinded. They don't stop. They keep going. At no point, I, I, don't, I don't see anything in here that at any point any of them repented and said, okay, you know what? I get it. This is wrong. When Lot is pleading with them, don't do it. Never repented. Never relented. When they're blinded. I mean, that would make me call some things into question. You know, if I'm, if I'm doing something and I'm struck blind by an angel, I would maybe reconsider what I'm doing in that moment in time. I, I would maybe back off a little bit. And they don't. They wear themselves out trying to get through the door. No repentance, no relenting. These cities, here's another thing we can point to for the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and the reason we're talking about how bad these places were is because we get a pretty severe judgment from God. I mean, I mean, the payment, the punishment, the death that comes, I mean, it's severe and it's fury, you know? And so a lot of people would think about Sodom and Gomorrah. How could God do that? Well, this was a terrible place. I mean, I'm glad he wiped them out. I mean, in a sense, I'm, I'm sorry that they never came to know the Lord. I wish they had repented, wish they had turned, but hey, honestly, they got what they deserved. I mean, that, maybe that sounds uncompassionate, but it's the truth. They got what justice would dictate they get. These cities, 
Here's another way we know that they were very wicked. These cities are cited throughout Scripture. And I gave you some. Um, I'm, I probably am not going to go through them at the bottom before we go to apologetics. I gave you some of these references. It's referenced and cited time and time again throughout Scripture as a display of wickedness. Like this was, they were, it was such a bad place that everybody that read the Bible knew about how bad Sodom and Gomorrah was. Like it is, it is the epitome of like a wicked, dark place. So this was a terrible place, all right? And really what it is, it's, it's a picture of what wickedness deserves on Judgment Day. Because that's what we're, this was Sodom and Gomorrah's Judgment Day. Do you realize that? When fire fell. I mean, this was Judgment Day for them. And this is a picture of what Judgment Day is going to look like. We've gotten a couple of those in our first 18 chapters of Genesis. We've got Sodom and Gomorrah. We can talk about the flood. I mean, it's, it's the just, right judgment of God giving the right payment for the sin that has been committed. So they were rightly judged for wickedness and sinfulness, for turning their back and hardening their heart toward God. But then we also see a picture of mercy. We also see a picture of God sending the Lord to deliver, sending these angels to, to pull Lot and his family out. So praise God, there is mercy. There is a way out. This is what we can take away from this, this you know, story, this, this um, encounter of Sodom and Gomorrah. There is mercy available even in the midst of judgment. God has provided his mercy. He's, let, he's offered mercy even in the midst of what is right judgment. Lot was warned and told and even pulled out to leave wickedness because this place was going to be destroyed. Um, we, of course, saw that, that there were not even 10 righteous ones in the city, including Lot and his family. And his, his daughters had husbands, or to-be husbands, so even the guys that had been around Lot, I mean, they probably were not righteous. They didn't leave with him. And so, you know, the four of them plus two, that's six. I mean, you're 60% of the way there. You, you can't find two more couples that don't want to be absolutely evil. It's a bad place. You shouldn't have been there in the beginning. And I said this earlier, mercy we see on display. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Not getting what you do deserve. All right, so let's talk for a few minutes about this next point, this question, are some sins better than others? Something a lot of people, I think in the world at least, think about today. Are some, some sins better, more acceptable, more respectable before God than other sins? If we go to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 10, this is what it says. Do not let, or I'm sorry, do not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And so here's what we, we get. We get a summary of some of the things that are considered unrighteous. These, these are, well, and here's how we get to that point. Here's how we know this is what God does not consider righteous. This is what is wrong, sinful, evil behavior in the eyes of God. The way we know that is because, number one, he says the unrighteous will not inherit, right? We, he starts us off with that point. The unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And then he gives us a list of all of these different identities, these different things people can be. And he says, these identities, all these things I just listed, those are what will not inherit the kingdom. And so, 
just by deductive reasoning, we can infer that these identities, these people who are these, this is who they are, this is how they are identified and, and accused, and, and there's no you know, mercy because they didn't receive Jesus. They haven't been washed and cleansed and given a new identity in Christ because this is who they still are, will not inherit the kingdom of God because they're considered unrighteous. And who is unrighteous does not inherit the kingdom of God, right? So all these identities are equally unrighteous. There's, you know, there's not stages to unrighteousness. I guess that's the point here. There's not stages. It doesn't say, you know, the, the adulterer is like never going to get a chance at the kingdom of God. But, but you know, the extortioner, they, they've just got to pay some penance and then they get in. It doesn't say that. It just says the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God. And then it calls all these things the ones who will not inherit the kingdom. And so these are all equally unrighteous to God. Now, it doesn't seem that way to us because some sin is more uh, visible, more easily recognizable. There are some sins that, like, I mean, there's no way to hide it as good intent. You know, some sin, like, there's nothing else you can call it but what it is. And yet, all of it, whether it's easily visible to us or whether it's, it's a heart issue or, you know, it's all unrighteousness to God. All these sins fall short of the glory and the standard of God, and all of these sins have a wage that is earned, which is death. Let's talk about a couple of, of these and just give a quick comparison through this list that we read in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. And then I got some good news for you. Covetousness is not in a separate category from the fornicator. You know that? The person who, who and covetousness, that's envy, jealousy, or greed. And so... In God's eyes, is when we're talking unrighteousness, the, the person who's greedy, who's, who's coveting what someone else, oh, they've got, I need one of those. I can't be happy until I've got what they've got. That's in the same category as the person who's, who's sleeping around. Let's go on and read another one. Are these kind of, are, the, are these good? Is this okay? The reveler, rivaler, is not in a separate class of sin from homosexuality. So the person who's gossiping, slandering, and verbally abusing people is in the same category of unrighteousness as the, the person who's a homosexual. And, and what I'm not doing today is like saying any of these are okay. They're all sin. They all deserve death. They all deserve a payment of judgment, right? But I'm also saying that None of it is like way worse than the other one. So like if I've got this one, then I'm okay. But that person, it's not that, but it's also not, hey, it's all good. Right. You know, we, we ought not to look at it either like, oh, well, you know, sleeping around is the same as gossiping. So I guess it's okay if I do both. No, it is not. Right? right. I mean, we don't want to go to either extreme and say, hey, none of it matters. And we don't want to go to the other extreme where we say, well, the ones that I don't do are the ones that are really bad. You know, it's, it's all sin, and it's all deserving of the penalty of death. Praise God, we've been redeemed from that. I got one more in there. I'll just read it because, well, because I can. The drunk and the extortioner are in the same category. Hey, there's another great example of one that's really visible and one that's maybe not so much. You know, uh, you see, you, you hear, you smell maybe the person who's getting drunk. But maybe it's not so easy to see the person that's threatening, bullying, or manipulating. But really, to God, it's all unrighteous. All equally unrighteous, all right? Now the good news. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. I like this part. As such were some of you. Hey, so, some of the people. 
in church. Paul's writing to a church. He says, some of you people sitting in this church were this way. You were these things. You were identified with these words. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the power of the Spirit of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we have been washed clean. We've been given a new identity. And that's really the good news because if we were still identified as the other, these other things, we would have a, a penalty of judgment to incur. But because we've been given a new identity, but because we've been sanctified, declared holy and perfected by the work of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, because of this, we are no longer that person we used to be. Amen? Amen. We're no longer um, accountable. We don't have to pay the price because Jesus paid it for us. This is what we see. Let's talk a little bit more about that. We're running short on time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go through this next part and then probably spend three minutes on apologetics. Because of God's love, which resulted in Him sending Jesus, we've been perfected. We have been made righteous. We have been sanctified. These are all things that point to the work um, of Jesus sacrificing Himself, taking the payment. Um, First, or maybe it's Second John. It says he was the propitiation for our sins. He has, he's paid the price as our substitute. In First John four, verse seventeen through nineteen, I love this talking about love. It says love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Hey, this is good news because we've talked about judgment. We've seen how awful judgment can turn out for the person who really ought to be afraid of it, who doesn't have a new identity, who's still accountable for the price of their sin. We're not like that. Love has been perfected among us in this. We may have boldness in the day of judgment. We don't have to be afraid of the day of judgment. We have boldness toward it because he is, as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. You've been made perfect in the love of God. In sending his son Jesus who paid the price, washed you, sanctified you, justified you. You've been made perfect in the love of God. What that means is you don't have to be afraid of judgment day anymore. You don't have to be afraid of Judgment Day. And, you know, I was thinking about this, too. Sometimes it's, it's kind of, it's a good thing to know what the other option would have been so I can appreciate what I've got now. You know that? Looking at Judgment, I mean, there's, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that have no idea what, what kind of a debt load they've incurred from their sinful behavior in life. And they don't realize that someday they're going to have a bill to pay. On Judgment Day, they're going to have a bill to pay for the sin. That wage has, has incurred, and hey, we need Jesus to come and wash our account clean. Amen? Amen. And so we need, I, I, I just believe it's a good thing to know this so we can express it to others and to know it for ourselves so we fully appreciate the work that Christ has done. Um, I want to read these last two scriptures, Hebrews 4, 16, and also James 2, verse 13. Let us therefore come boldly. I love that. It just it pairs so well with 1 John 4. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come boldly. Like it said in, in 1 John 4, we may have boldness in the day of judgment. We've got a boldness with God now because we've been made right with him. We've been sanctified and washed in the blood of Christ because we've received it. We've been washed by it. And so now we can have boldness in approaching God. And it's through that that we obtain mercy. 
so we don't have to pay the price of judgment. We've got mercy over judgment. Amen. And that's James 2, 13. It says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy wins over judgment. And we have obtained mercy because of Christ. Amen. It's good news. It's good news. Let's talk apologetics for our last two minutes together tonight. And I want to show you some pictures. I put a couple of these into our PowerPoint presentation. As I'm doing this, I'll just I'll start reading here. Could this story be true? Here's a question that you may encounter if you start talking to people about Sodom and Gomorrah. Could fire have really fire and brimstone really fallen from heaven and absolutely wiped out and turned to ash these cities in the Valley of Jordan? Could that have really been a lush place at one time and then all turned to to, to ash? because of judgment. Here's a couple things we need to know, and, and I'm gonna give you first the biblical thing, and then we'll go into some archeological stuff. The first is this account, I mentioned it earlier, is mentioned over and over, referenced over and over and over again in the Word of God. I don't need physical evidence to believe the Word of God. I don't know about you, but I have faith in the Word. Do you have faith in the Word tonight? And so whether, whether I looked up on Google, what does the archaeological evidence of Sodom and Gomorrah look like? What have they found? There could be absolutely nothing, and I'm still going to believe it 100% because it's the Word of God, and the Word is true. I have total faith, and so I don't have to see it to believe it. If I did, that wouldn't be faith. That would just be belief in what I see. Amen? And so I just wanted to reference that first. We don't need external evidence to prove or believe the Word. Our faith is in the truth. Let's look at some of the archaeological evidence. The first thing is this talked last week about these cities. Um, the cities were located in the Valley of Jordan. This is surrounded by the, the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea would have been there in that time. It's still there today. There were five cities in this area, and, and these are the five cities of the five kings who were defeated by Charlemagne, the king who had come from the east. Um, we talked about that battle a couple weeks ago. Um, those five cities would have been Sodom, Gomorrah, Zor, Zeboim, and Adma. In 1973 through 1979, two archaeologists oh surveyed near the Dead Sea, and they located the remains of five cities. Those five cities in modern-day translation are called Bab Edadara, Numiera, Safi, Fifa, and Kaanazar. And so I'm going to put that at the back, and you can write them down if you want to. Um, at Bab Edadara, they found approximately 500,000 people buried in graves, indica indicating a large population. What that really shows us is these were like population centers. These were cities, okay? And, and these are in kind of this sort of location. I mean, this is what it looks like over there, all right? This is the area of the valley. This is the plain of the Valley of Jordan. And so this is what it looks like now in that they found these just huge tombs full of, full of um, well, like, bodies that are really, really old. So it indicates a large population. It would have been a city. Um, the one that's called Numiera, that um, excavation, it exposed that the city had been covered in 16 inches of ashy debris when it was destroyed, and its Arabic name has similarities to the Hebrew name for Gomorrah. A couple of, these are kind of like scientific things for you tonight. Um, in this area, like what we're looking at on the screen right now, this area has large deposits of sulfur, calcium, um, and calcium sulfate. And what that is, is is a mixture of limestone and sulfur. When sulfur mixes with limestone, you get calcium sulfate. In this time in history, all of their buildings, guess what they were built with? Limestone. And it says that God rained sulfur. 
from the sky. And so when the fire and sulfur came down and it mixed with the limestone, it would have turned into calcium sulfate. These giant mounds that you see on the screen right now, that like they don't really look like they belong there. Guess what they're made out of? Calcium sulfate. And so is it possible that when fire and brimstone, fire and, and sulfur, sulfur is the modern name for brimstone, by the way, um, when that rained from heaven, these structures turned to ash and to this calcium sulfate as everything was burned. And, and is it possible that these weird-looking structures could actually have been remains of a city? You know, um, if you go online and look, and there's like videos, I actually watched a video today, it's like there'll be spots that are totally just flat and cleared, like there's a mound built up, it looks like there were steps, and then there's just giant clearing with nothing there. Or there'll be structures that look like those ziggurat temples that we talked about recently, like the pyramid-style temples. These are common structures found throughout the valley, all made of this calcium sulfate. And so, the other thing that's interesting is it's not just like the entire region it's very specific points there are like i mean it looks like somebody took a target and put it on these locations and that's where these huge deposits of calcium sulfate and sulfur are at which would indicate it wasn't just like hey you know water swept through and it brought all this mineral down there it was like something fell right there hey we know what it was it was it was the lord and so just there's some things for you. We talked about customs and, and that sort of thing. If you got more questions on that, I'd be happy to talk to you after. We better end. I know our kids will be happy to rejoin with all of you. And so let's just pray and close our time together tonight. Father, I thank you for the word. I just thank you that as we've studied it tonight, we have, we have just been built in our faith from hearing your word, Lord. Uh, I thank you, too, that we are just more equipped now leaving with this truth with um, a better understanding of what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah of, of an, even an understanding of your character that you are just and that is a good thing you're perfect God and so um, we, we thank you that you're a just judge and that knowing that you're just and that you were not going to um, do something that was not just you needed to send a sacrifice so that we could obtain mercy and we thank you that you did that by sending your son Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice for us that in his blood we are washed sanctified and justified we are made right with you and so lord we thank you that we're, we're not afraid of of judgment lord we can we can talk openly and freely about judgment uh, about sin and lord how there's a way out of it how there is deliverance and redemption from it and a washing away of it lord i, I thank you that we are freed from the, the the oppression and the bondage of being afraid of what happens on judgment day lord we're not afraid of it because we know that we've been judged righteous in Jesus' name. We've been made right and washed clean in power of the Holy Spirit. So we thank you for that tonight, Lord. And we just pray that as we go, we'd be reminded of these truths time and time again as we interact with people and talk to people about things like judgment or sin, what happens after um, our time on earth. Lord, I thank you that you would just help us in this, remind us of this, or even open doors of conversation about some of the um, apologetic things, the science scientific things that we talked about lord you can use any avenue uh, to to lead somebody to christ and so i thank you that you would just remind us of these things that we have learned tonight and help us to just reach people with the good news of the gospel to spread that message that there is hope and redemption and life in jesus name so we pray it in his name we love you lord amen, amen. thank you for coming tonight go and be blessed <laughs>